The world is getting more and more complicated and complex. As we see anti-conversion laws come in, in places like Nepal and India, and how does that work? As we see the crackdown in China on the church, imagine if you're the pastor of a house church and you know that when you gather your people this weekend, they may go to jail. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio as we start out a new year talking about what God is doing around the world. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening and uh, for praying for our persecuted family around the world. We have a special guest here back on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Jonathan Ekman is VOM's Vice President for International Ministry. Uh, We will talk sometimes today about I am, we mean international ministry, which is the part of Voice of the Martyrs that goes into the hostile and restricted nations where we work, meets with Christians, evaluates their needs, and then provides help, provides projects, manages that help going to them. Jonathan, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It's great to be back with you, Todd. What's the best part of your job? The best part of my job. The best part of my job is this unique seat that God has given me to see what he's doing in the earth. As we work in more than 70 countries, I have the privilege of every day hearing from brothers and sisters around the world about both difficult situations they're walking through, but also tremendous victories as we see the kingdom of God continue to advance around the world. One of the things that listeners may not understand is how Voice of the Martyrs works in partnership with others. That includes mission organizations that are working in some of these countries. That includes local churches, local believers. Talk a little bit about that, about just the the mechanics of how those partnerships happen and how they help us to be able to go into a country like you know, China or India or wherever and deliver help to Christians facing persecution. Sure. It's a big world that we, uh, that we live in, that we work in. And in order for us to be able to, to have the greatest impact uh, for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world, we have to work through partnerships. So we task our staff to know everyone doing good work in their fields. And that it will be both indigenous denominations and networks of churches that will be indigenous mission-sending agencies, and that will be Western agencies as well, American and and, uh, European agencies. So we want to know all of those folks so that we have eyes and ears on the ground, that we can know what's happening uh, in the various streams, theological streams. So not just, we're we're not a Baptist organization or a Pentecostal organization. We want to work with everyone doing Great Commission work. And, And that's our goal. So it's one of the joys of our for our team is to be able to know and, and have a view of everything that God is doing in a country like India or China. Which, when you think about a country like India or China, we want you to know everybody who's doing Great Commission work in India, that's like a lifetime job. That's not something they're going to accomplish in the next six months. It is. We don't get bored, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we We are constantly meeting with new people. We're constantly looking for opportunities to 
to see more of what God is doing in these fields. That's a lot of cups of tea and a lot of meals and a lot of fellowship. And and I know you feel this way. Heroes, we get to sit down with heroes working in these countries and just drink tea and hear their stories. Yeah, and it's a lot of flights and a lot of long car rides and, and everything else. But I, I always describe the job of our of our international team is the joy of it is that we get to sit at a table with people that I consider rock stars in the kingdom. These are brothers and sisters who are pouring their lives out for the sake of the kingdom in obscure places. No one here in the U.S. will probably ever know their name, but they are heroes in the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege not only to know them, but to work with them, to encourage them, to help them go farther. So it it, it is a tremendous joy. We have also the amazing privilege to step alongside of some of those partners in hard times. And the amazing thing about that is, is you get to literally say, God has answered your prayers because here's what you need, and we're able to provide that. A lot of those stories we don't get to tell publicly. Can you, Is there one or two that you can tell where you got to step into a situation and say, no, we're, we're ready to meet that need that you've been praying about? And in some cases, maybe it's an emergency, maybe it's a crisis, somebody's faced persecution intensely, or maybe it's a long-term prayer request that they've been bringing before the Lord sometimes for years, and we get to say, we're the answer to that prayer. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, generally tell you a couple of stories. (laughs) Very generally. Very generally. Uh, A particular country in which we are active, there was a, a printer who does gospel portions, prints gospel portions, prints the Bible, and they needed a vehicle desperately. But it was going to be very difficult to make this happen for various reasons. But it looked like, in this brother's eyes, impossible that anything could ever happen. And I had the privilege uh, last year to go and to meet with this brother and say, we're going to do it, brother. We're going to, we're going to get that vehicle. We're going to get it fixed so that it can work. And, and I remember that brother breaking down and crying. And it, it's humbling when you make an old man cry, right? <laughs> and he, he began to weep, and he said, this is the answer to our prayers. The gospel will continue to go further. And, and for us, man, what a privilege. Uh, it's humbling for us to do that. But man, there's nothing better than that. Uh, the other example that happens often is when someone has suffered. And, you know, we, we see this often where a, a brother or sister will suffer and those around them, their network, uh, whether it's indigenous or Western, really has no resources to help them. So what ends up happening is, we'll pray for you, brother, or they'll pass the hat, and maybe they'll get a little bit of money to help. So there are many times when we're able to step into that situation and say, no, we're going to meet the need that you have, whether this is a brother who is martyred to take care of his family. They'll have a place to live and food to eat, and the kids will go to school. It's a tremendous blessing, and, and it's something that we've found gives tremendous courage to our brothers and sisters. Because often these, these brothers and sisters are willing to take tremendous risk. Their only big concern is my family. What will happen to my family if something happens to me? And we as Voice of the Martyrs are able to say, brother, if something happens to you, we will take care of your family. And it, and it engenders this tremendous boldness to preach the gospel in difficult places. And it really is the body of Christ in, in motion, in action. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you have a need. You can't meet it. God's enabled us to meet it. Hey, we're going to do that. Well, and I think something that's very unique about about Voice of the Martyrs is 
the majority of the people that we help on the field, especially in these situations, never know that Voice of the Martyrs helped them. For us, we're brothers from the U.S. I was just in Nepal, and we met with some brothers who'd been persecuted. We never said Voice of the Martyrs. We don't talk about Voice of the Martyrs. We are simply brothers from the U.S., and you, my friend, are part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ wants to meet this need. So it's tremendous for us. And, And to be able to do that, we're not looking for credit. We're just looking to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help our persecuted family. Who are some of the people in the last year that have inspired you? As you have heard stories, met with some of these believers, who are the people that you'll look back on and say, wow, how amazing was it? I got to sit down with that person. Well, who immediately comes to mind is a young man I met who, because his father is an evangelist, basically lost all opportunity for advancement. Higher education, he was a great athlete. Uh, and may have had tremendous potential in that. But because of his father, he lost all that. He will have no opportunity. And I remember, I will always remember sitting down with this brother and his father and talking about that and saying to a 17-year-old young man, does it bother you that, that you've lost everything, really, because your dad's work? And he looked at me really without hesitation and said, well, we all have a price to pay. And, and I remember just being stunned. I just sat there. I didn't even know what to say. But to think of the maturity of a 17-year-old, to think of the kind of family that he's grown up in, who would say, we all have a price to pay. It's one thing to say that in Sunday school, you know, in America. It's another thing to say it when it's actually happened. You've lost everything, right? I think part of the joy of our job is I've had the privilege to meet just literally dozens and dozens of people this year who amaze me, humble me. <laughs> I, I, I often say I feel like the least spiritual guy in the room in many of these conversations. And, and it's such a challenge, such an encouragement to me. I, I hope I have the kind of faith that young man has when the rubber hits the road. <laughs> By the right? time you get to be 60 yeah, <laughs> and he's yeah, 17. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, those kinds of opportunities that we have are, are just tremendous blessings. And that's part of what we try to do with the newsletter and stuff is to to tell our readers those kinds of stories, to say, look, don't feel sorry for this 17-year-old young man because he's not asking you to feel sorry for him at all. And he doesn't feel sorry for himself. No, not at all. What what we want you to do is to, to read that story, to see that story and say, that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's something that here in the U.S., we really need that reminder often, I think, of, no, that's what it means to be a Christian, not how many verses you can memorize or how often you go to church, but can you have that kind of faith when the times are very difficult? And that's not just a message for other American Christians. That's for us who work here, too. Uh, we for me. I, I we am, need it. I am consistently humbled. <laughs> We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Jonathan Ekman. He is Voice of the Martyrs Vice President for International Ministry. Jonathan, let's look ahead to 2019. Where do you see more efforts or more projects for VOM, which probably means more persecution for our brothers and sisters? Well, I think the the big one right now is China. I mean, as we look at China— and the changing laws and the tremendous crackdown on 
on house churches or unregistered churches, this is a kind of a historic time in the history of the of the church in China and certainly of the missions community in China. So we're going to be watching that very closely uh, to see where that goes and what what is that going to look like in in the end of the year, kind of as we go through this year. What will that look like? I think other places. India continues to be on our radar. India is a little different in the fact that there's tremendous persecution, but it doesn't cost much. You know, I, we had seven brothers beaten uh, earlier this year by a mob, and I remember we got the bill from the doctor, and, and the bill for all seven combined was like $48. So we're not spending a ton of money in India, but, man, the persecution, especially at the village level, the, rem- the remote villages, is, is tremendous. And India is a place, I hope people will put it on their prayer list, because in in just a few months, national elections are going to happen there. India has a chance to say, yes, we like this Hindu nationalist government that wants every Indian to be a Hindu, or they have a chance to say, wow, maybe we should go a different direction. So that will play into the level of persecution we see there. Right, and we're going to see, everyone is saying Modi's never been as weak as he is right now. So there's there's some optimism that things will change. We, of course, know that at the end of the day in India, it's not about the federal government. It's about the village. It's about if you abandon Hinduism and turn to Christ, there is a price to pay. And that will be true whether Narendra Modi is the prime minister or someone else. Are there other countries that maybe our listeners haven't heard of or aren't familiar with that you see an increase in persecution? I think if we, you know, we have Nigeria, which we're all familiar with, and that continues to be an ongoing crisis uh, in Nigeria with the Fulani herdsmen uh, and the Boko Haram. I, I think in Africa, we also have Uganda. It's almost like you can physically see Islam moving south in Uganda, and you see the church bracing for that and pr- trying to prepare for that. So Uganda... Obviously, Central Asia will continue to be, as I like to say, the stands and the jans, um, all of those countries that we can't find on a map and have a hard time pronouncing, uh, still tremendous persecution in those areas. The church is very small, uh, but we hear uh, encouraging reports about a growing church in those, those countries, so we'll be continuing to watch that. And then Indonesia. Indonesia will remain on our map as, as a country, the largest Muslim country in the world, with tremendous uh, diversity across that archipelago on what it means to be a Christian and what it costs. Are there some places that you see getting better as far as persecution, religious freedom, places where we think, you know, wow, we had lots of projects there before, but we don't need as many projects because— there's good news. Well, I think that would be, you know, the former ISIS-controlled areas. I, I wouldn't say that they're getting better. I, I would say they're not getting worse. I mean, I think, you know, the, the fighting has, has decreased a fair amount. A lot of people have left. We remain committed to those believers that have stayed in the region, and, and we'll continue to do that. The, the situation is changing, really, from a uh, kind of an emergency response to more of a nation-building kind of thing of trying to rebuild infrastructure, and that's not really that's our not thing. Us. That's not us. So we're continuing to stand with the churches that remain there, and we'll continue to do that. 
But we don't know, no one knows when that will ever get back to normal, if you would yeah. say that. Whatever normal will Whatever be. Whatever normal will be. No one knows. Yeah. One of the questions that I get asked sometimes at, at VOM conferences is, man, I would love to come and work for Voice of the Martyrs. I want to... I want to go to Indonesia and help the Christians in Indonesia. You have a staff of people who do that. You lead our international work. Talk a little bit about the kinds of people that you're bringing on to staff. And if somebody is out there and says, man, I would love to do that work, just kind of advise them. Okay. So our staff, the staff I lead is uh, about 65 folks. 25 nationalities based in 24 countries. <laughs> I often say that we are never your first job in missions. We're usually your last. So the type of staff that we are bringing on are folks who have 10, 15, 20 years experience in the field and are no kidding professionals. So I get that same question at conferences. Man, I want to come work for you guys. What I usually tell, it's usually young people. It's usually a 20-year-old, right, who's just passionate. I usually tell them, go get 10 years experience and then give me a call. And there are great opportunities, great organizations out there that you can go. And the need has never been greater. There are opportunities. It's all dangerous. So if you're looking for safe places, I don't know where those are. It's all dangerous, but there are opportunities. So I would say if you're a young person listening to this and you think God is calling me to this, do it. Go find YWAM or Operation Mobilization or, or your denominational mission sending agency and go. Go and, and, and pour your life out on the field for the sake of the kingdom, to see people come to Christ from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then at some point, maybe we meet down the road after that. I think we hired somebody this year that speaks five languages. Am I right about that? Four languages? Four, yeah. Oh, only four. Only four. <laughs> we, we told him to work on the fifth. Yeah. yeah. So that's great advice. Like you say, you get that question. I get that question. Go. Go live in another country and do gospel work and learn the language. Uh, and down the road, there may be a spot. The great thing about that is our international staff, when they go into these countries— they do speak the language. They do know the culture and understand the dynamics and understand what the church is going through. And so they're way ahead of the game as far as figuring out, okay, what does the church need? How can VOM help? Right. Well, and, and even in countries where we don't speak the language, because a lot of our guys are, are responsible for multiple countries, so they may not speak the language in every country, but they certainly are cross-cultural communicators. They're, they're definitely uh, people who are prepared for that. So it's, it's a challenging job. It, it's a very challenging job. And I, but I always say for the right people, it's a dream job. To be able to go and to sit at a table with a rock star in the kingdom and hear what he's doing and be able to interact and impact that brother's work is tremendous. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Jonathan Ekman. He's the Vice President for International Ministry here at the Voice of the Martyrs, you talked about your staff and how they're spread all over the world. They make some pretty significant sacrifices to do that work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It, it, it is a sacrifice. It's uh, Our guys will spend 80 to 100 days a year in the field. And when you consider the fact that we only work restricted and, and hostile fields, these are not easy places to travel. 
so it's a lot of time away. It's a lot of time in in uh, remote, difficult places. But at the same time, I think for our team, it's also a tremendous joy. So we don't talk much about sacrifice around here, especially because of the people we work with. Right. Right. We Com- have a, a unique perspective on sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. Compared to the guys that we're sitting and meeting with, we're not sacrificing anything. I, I flew to Nepal, right? I, I didn't take a boat and then hike up into the Himalayas. I flew there. I was staying at a hotel. I had hot water. So I, I wasn't sacrificing at all. So I, I think for our guys, it, it's a joy to do it. There are things, time away from family and things that can be difficult. But at the end of the day, the job is is unbelievable. The reason I ask is I want to lead into my next question because we're almost out of time and we always finish up with, okay, how do we pray? I want to equip people to pray for your staff, to pray for the guys who are going into these countries. They're having to make decisions about what's going on, how's the best way to respond, how can we pray for them and for their families? Because right. like you say, there's a lot of there's a lot of time away that may be a greater sacrifice for the family than it is for our staff. Well, members. and we say sometimes wives of our staff are single parents for about 100 days a year. So definitely pray for their families, the time away. Uh, we try to mitigate the, that time away by the way we schedule travel and things like that. But I think, as you said, to pray for our staff for wisdom, discernment, as you sit in these countries and you listen to stories and you, you try to figure out where, where is VOM fit in this situation, uh, it, it takes a great deal of, of wisdom to do that. And I, and I thank God that God has brought us an incredible staff. I, I think the other thing is to be able to, to manage just the volume of work that we do. We'll do about 1,600 projects in 2019. That, that's a lot of project. That's a lot of money and, in, and time and moving pieces to have to manage. So it is a, a, a workload on, on those guys. But I think if, if, if I brought those guys in here this morning and they talked to you, they would say, it's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. <laughs> They're not complaining. That's for sure. I, I tell you who I would, I would ask our, our listeners to pray for. I would ask them in 2019 to pray for leaders. And, and when I say leaders, I, I mean indigenous, denominational, mission-sending agencies, Western mission-sending agencies, to pray for those leaders. The world is getting more and more complicated and complex as we see anti-conversion laws come in, in places like Nepal and India. And how does that work? As we see the crackdown in China on the church, Imagine if you're the pastor of a house church, and, and you know that when you gather your people this weekend, they may go to jail. So to pray for leaders, that they would have wisdom, but also that they would have courage and boldness. These are trying times for leaders around the world. So, dear listener, if you're going to pray, pray for those leaders. You don't have to know their names. Just pray that God would give those leaders of house churches, of those leaders of Indian denominations, give them wisdom as they deal with changing times. I think that's a great way for us to finish up today. Jonathan, thank you for your work. Thank you for being our guest again on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Uh, It's great, brother. It's always good to be here. 
I want to encourage you, if you're listening, we've talked about ways to pray. I also want to encourage you, if you missed the last two weeks here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, we went back and looked at some of the most moving moments that we had in 2018. I know some of our radio stations over the Christmas holidays, they do Christmas music or they do something else. If you miss those broadcasts, I want to encourage you to go to vomradio.net and listen to those. You will be inspired. I promise you that if you listen to those. And also, I want to encourage you to join us next week. We are going to meet Sister Rasheen. Her father was martyred in Iran. He was a pastor there who was executed by order of the Iranian government. She was then taken under the wing of Haik Hosepian, who would later be murdered also in Iran. So she has seen up close and personal more than one martyr of the Iranian church. She's going to talk about that next week. You'll be encouraged and inspired by her story. So don't miss that next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.